Hi, welcome to a bonus Be the Evidence interview with Dr. Melissa Bird. Susan Grayson and I are so excited about this conversation. It's so good. Susan and I would just like to take a moment to extend our gratitude for the work of Dr. Bird and also for everybody that's joining in and listening to Be the Evidence podcast and as part of our Be the Evidence.live members. We are so grateful for you in this community that is ever growing would not be what it is without you. So thank you. So Dr. Bird, she's amazing, like legitimately amazing. Um, she is a passionate feminist who has her doctorate in social work, and she advocates for children and women and the families. She is fierce. I mean, ridiculously fierce. And she is a proponent in walking, talking evidence of social justice and advocacy and how we harness our own power and amplify our voices and bring growth to worlds. Dr. Bird is a life coach. She's a writer. She's an educator. And she is on fire. She helps to educate people and inspire people to be leaders in their own worlds and then in their own communities. She likes to note herself as a walking, talking rebel. And she's here to help awaken revolutions and trailblazers and innovators. She has offered up uh, a free handbook at the end of the podcast and has some other wonderful ways to connect with her on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And she also offers some links to her workshops that she mentions within the podcast. So make sure you go to the show notes after you've listened to this conversation to find out more about what Dr. Bird is up to and also how to get a reading from Susan and I or to access our Be The Evidence community. Either way, we're so grateful that you're here and hopefully you walk away from this conversation as inspired, as lit up, and as passionate for life and change as we were. We're grateful for you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Welcome back to the interviews. We are so excited to have Dr. Melissa Bird with us today. How are you, Dr. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we wanted to have you on because we talk a lot about the same issues that you talk about, that we talk about uh, a shift in the world, a collapse of control and patriarchy, that there's a dismantling of mechanisms of suppression through fear, and there's a rising that's coming up to replace it. What do you think about that? Oh, I think so many things about that. I, um, it's so great that you mentioned the fear piece because I think that one of the things that I, I mean, I literally just got off the phone talking to somebody about it. Um, the fear of the criticism that we, we are criticizing other people for not doing it right for not engaging correctly, for not making good choices the way we would have want them made. We are criticizing people to the point that there's no room for grace or dialogue or conversation or expanding how we think about things. And 
one of the one of the ways that this is just coming out so much in the work that I'm doing is, you know, I'm suggesting that people um, take intentional action and take action that comes from their passion and that that's how they move forward in life is from that intentional space of passion and love and, and give people the opportunity to not do it the same way that they would because everybody needs to be doing this differently in their own way. And it's sort of like the Robert F. Kennedy, the Robert Kennedy quote about the ripples in the, in the pond, right? You throw the rock in and it ripples. We have to allow space for the ripples to happen. And what I'm seeing right now is that people are so entrenched and so afraid that even if they are willing to take action, if other people don't do it the same exact way they do, all of a sudden they're wrong. And, and the echo chamber reflects that a lot. And I think it's, it's dangerous. And I think that that is the one thing as I'm interacting with people and hearing them talk about what they want to do in the world and what changes they want to make in their community, they're terrified to even step forward because they're afraid that someone's going to criticize them or they're going to do it wrong. You talk about graceful revolution. Why is that? So the graceful revolution actually came to me in the middle of the night in like 2014 and um, I, I literally like woke up in the middle, like at 3.33, it was one of those magical number things, right? Yeah, right? And I woke up in the middle of the night and I typed this note on my phone and then I put my phone down and went back to sleep. And when I woke up in the morning, I rolled over and I pulled up my phone and it was there and I was like, oh my God, this is genius. Like <laughs> in the middle of the night. I'm the smartest cookie on earth. Like, <laughs> and I, <laughs> babe, you're not gonna believe what I just wrote in the middle of the night. And Jim's like, whatever. And <laughs> so I sent the note to a friend of mine, and I'll get into the graceful revolution in a second. But I send this note to a friend of mine, and I'm like, girl, look what I wrote. And she's like, not yet. And I'm like, what do you mean, not yet? This is genius. Like, I'm gonna write a blog, and I'm gonna start speaking, and people are gonna pay me money, and it's gonna be awesome. And she's like, not yet. And I'm like come on. And she's like, it's good, but we're not ready. And I was like, oh. And then the 2016 election happened and she was like, it's go time. And now. Was, mm -hmm. Oh, now. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. And so the graceful revolution, um, is, um, a new brand of advocacy where we, um, we really admit our shortcomings and we humble ourselves to our shortcomings. And then we tap into the passion and the thing that lights us up the most. And we also learn how the infrastructure works and where the people of power are. And we infiltrate the membranes of power to make a difference in our communities. And um, a lot of that is translating, the way that's translating in the people that I've trained um, and done workshops on in the Grace, with the Graceful Revolution is, um, people really getting into what's happening in their neighborhoods and their homes and tapping into their feelings about what's happening in their own communities so that they can make a difference in those communities. Um, one of the biggest examples I can give for that is uh, there's a woman here. Um, her name's Phyllis and she's an older woman, elderly woman. And she decided she did one of my workshops and then she decided that she was going to build a, buy a house and house some of the homeless women in our community. And she went to all the community members who are these business owners who were like, of course I want to help the homeless people. And she's like, great, kick it down, match my money. Right. And none of them would do it. And she was like, well, forget it. I'm building the house anyway, because that's the revolution. And so she did it anyway. 
And there's another woman here who saw who didn't want homeless people to have dirty socks and underwear. And so she started an organization called Socks That Rock um, and started handing out socks and underwear to the homeless because she didn't want them and giving them haircuts. She got a hairdresser to do haircuts. And it's like those sorts of, that's the revolution. The revolution is not blowing everything up. It's not, um, you know, exploding everything and coming out guns blazing. I think the revolution is walking into this with such grace and force and passion that we can't, people can't help but hear us. Mm-hmm. And giving other people space for grace to do it the way that they need to do it, right? And really recognizing that what lights you up, Susan, and what lights you up, Aubrey, and what lights your guest up is so individual. Mm-hmm. My jam, the thing that turns me on the most, the thing that I engage in all the time is reproductive justice. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. Homelessness, homelessness is sometimes a part of that. Being involved in LGBT rights is sometimes a part of that as a member of the LGBT community. But the bottom line at the end of the day is that that's my jam. What totally turns me on and does it for me is not the same as what does it for you. And we have to allow, give each other the training and the tools to infiltrate the membrane with that passion. Aubrey and I talk about advocacy and engagement a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Mostly because we're, we're, we're both extremes. I am obsessed with staying informed, like to the point where Aubrey's like, turn it off, Susan, enough, (laughs) you know? And Aubrey's like, this is blowing me out. I cannot engage with this. Mm -hmm. Aubrey, can you meet it in the middle like that? That great, how she describes graceful revolution. Can you meet it in the middle where she's talking? Yeah, I think what's interesting for me is that it's this crowded out theory. So like my jam is nutrition, right? Like my jam is like the body and like, how do we actually land like this grace within our body? And so it's like that infiltration of like, you don't change your diet and your lifestyle becoming in and being like, I'm going to real push really hard. You do it by like making small choices that are in alignment with your truth. Right. And so it's like real interesting that we're Susan and I are on these extremes where I can't deal with a lot of things that are happening in the society because of the fact that I get, I'm so empathic. I get blown out and then I get shut down for days at a time. And so it's real interesting that there's like this uh, give and take, right? There's this massaging happening of how do you shift and meet one another in a place where we can all move forward, but it's in recognition of like our truth or our callings or our um, deepest sense of power. Yeah. And, and you've identified actually what you just said about food and, and not blowing it all out, right? right? Is the exact opposite of what we are taught. Right. What we are taught about all things is you go big or go home. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's not how change is made. Change is, and especially in advocacy, change is made um, intricately and um, piece by piece. You can't just go in and, and, the, and it should be like good legislation, good policy should be intentional. Mm-hmm. It's slow and deliberate. Um, I, I had, there's a legislator in Utah and she and I created this great quote about how good policy is like good sex. It's slow, intentional, and deliberate. And yeah, it's, actually, yeah. it's like, I it got quoted in a book. It was awesome. But <laughs> there are so many times when, when people think, well, in order for me to make a difference now in 2019, I'm going to have to come up with some big, huge, gigantic thing that, that is going to be revolutionary. 
well, not everybody wants to do the big, huge, gigantic thing. I do that. Like I, I, my foray into advocacy was when I was getting my master's degree back, back in the day in 2001 to 2003, um, when I was getting my master's degree in social work, I did some of the first research in Utah on homeless youth. And I specifically was looking at homeless LGBT youth and how many we had in Utah. And nobody was having that conversation back then. Nobody was talking about homeless youth. It was just the very beginning of that conversation. And I knew that we didn't have an emancipation law. Our, our law said you couldn't shelter a youth for longer than eight hours without parental consent or emancipation. And I knew we didn't have an emancipation law, so I wrote one on my dining room table. And then I taught myself how to lobby. And then I taught myself how a bill becomes a law. And I got that bill sponsored and I passed it into law two years later. And I built the coalition and I did all of the connecting and all of that community building. And that's me. That's, mm -hmm. I love doing big things like that. Not everybody wants to do that. Everyone's like, when are you running for office? I'm like, mm, I don't really want to run for office. I mean, I do. I want to be the president. I've wanted to be the president since I was five, though. Like, that's always been, you know, when girls are playing, like, teacher and house mm -hmm. and nurses and stuff? Not me. Mm -mm. I was always the president. I was always the pregnant president, ironically. But, you know, I think that there is, you know, incremental steps are good. That's, it doesn't have to be the big blowout, you know, and not everybody is suited for public office. But if you're called to do it, by God, do it right? Mm -hmm. If you're called to lead, then lead. If you're called to help, then help. But I think the beauty of what happened in 2016 is everybody's paying attention. And that's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. the, the, the thing about not blowing it out of the water, do you think that's because it, that's, that's a strong arm masculine way to do it? And there's a feminine approach now that is going to make it stronger and make it last? And does that make people already in the system want to engage in it if you approach it in that way? I think there is a beautiful rising of the matriarchy that's happening right now, and I am so here for it. <laughs> I think that we are bringing in, um, I think that women and the, the divine feminine is rising in a way that I could never have anticipated that that would be one of the things that would happen as a result of that election. Mm -hmm. um, and you saw it before the election, but it's really, it's like all of a sudden people woke up and went, whoa, I think there is, I think that is why I did a really fantastic, I had a really great talk with a, a woman who provides abortion services in Utah. And she was talking about how she thinks all these abortion restrictions are be, being put in place because for time and eternity, men have never understood how women make a baby. And it terrifies them. What she said was that it terrifies them. And that's why they feel the need to restrict it because they can't understand it. And if you look at that over the space of history and time and like go all the way back to like the rise of Christianity, it makes perfect sense why there's this constant and consistent regulation of our bodies. If it's unknown still to this day, even with medical technology, they still can't figure out how we do that, right? Like how that actually takes, it's magic, right? It's a miracle. It's the miracle of life. In fact, there's a whole movie about the miracle of life. 
but this rising of the feminine and the way that we are like, mm -mm, we're not going to take this. And you can try and regulate us. And that's going to get worse, by the way. I mean, what's happening around the country is not going to stop. For I think it's going to be a couple of more years that we see this sort of restriction on LGBT people because we don't understand that. This, this like real um, persistence in keeping people in poverty in poverty and making it worse and worse and worse. We're going to see more of that. We're going to see more restrictions on women's bodies. We're going to see this happen more and more. And then it's going to, I think the shift is going to be huge. And, and, and it's, it's really, I love that we're in this time period that we get to watch this, but I think that the feminine is, we're shifting how people think about policy and the more women run and the more we win, because we are winning in, in numbers that are unbelievable. And the more women support other women instead of tearing them down like mean girls, the more we support other women, even if we don't necessarily agree with everything that they say, the more we do that, the more we are going to make this shift happen. Aubrey and I talk a lot about how it's in the astrology that, that systems are collapsing, yeah. structures are collapsing, traditions are collapsing. Um, and then you witness that the people who are in control are kind of flailing mm -hmm. and, and they're going to, they're going to, it's going to get worse that they're going to try and cause some harm to make mm -hmm. us feel afraid and fight each other and think that we need them. What do you do with anger about that without being like, let's just burn it all down. <laughs> <laughs> so anger, anger is really a fascinating thing. I have a conversation about anger regularly with people I'm a big fan of anger. I was raised in an angry household and I was raised that anger is awesome, which is not good by the way, but I, you know, like throwing things, not good. But there is a, there, I think anger is akin to passion. Mm -hmm. And so if you can not push down the anger, but really, really feel the anger without hurting other people or yourself, and then shifting that anger into that space of love and joy and expansion and passion, then you can get something done. Mm -hmm. And I think that being angry, there's room for anger right now, especially there's the, there's room for so much righteous fury. It's unbelievable. But we also have to take that and then move into that intentional action space where we're taking intentional action based on what it is that's pissing us off and the feelings that we're feeling. And if we can really tap into, that's part of the graceful revolution, really. If you can tap into those feelings and then connect it to creation, instead of tearing it all down, like you said, Susan, like burning it all to the ground, what if instead of focusing on contracting, we focused on building and creating and expanding community from a local space, not from this federal space? I never ever encourage people to try and make a change at a federal level first. I always encourage people. One of the things I love about my office that you can't see is that I'm in front of this giant window and I get to look at my neighbor's houses and I get to see the people walking down the street and I get to watch the birds fly into my magical trees and I get to see all this, my neighborhood outside moving around me. So many people don't have that experience of being around their neighborhood. Many people don't even know who their neighbors are. They don't talk to them. They don't know their names. They don't know who they are. You know, and so I've been encouraging people to really go back into their neighborhoods and their communities and looking at where they can assist and give help so that they don't feel like burning it all down. Because if you get into this, like, if you bullseye out from your house a couple miles, 
you'll find plenty of opportunities to engage in a way that you never even thought possible that will make you feel successful. And then you'll keep doing that thing because you'll build confidence doing that thing. And then you can keep going out and shifting the way it works. And there's that ripple effect again. Because mm-hmm. what happens at that city level filters up to the federal level if we're connecting with people in our own, in our own hoods. And, and you're right, Susan. I mean, I know that this, I, I for one, am very grateful that, that shit is hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy about it. Because what is coming out of that never would have happened if this was not going on. Aubrey and I talk about how we both house a lot of powerful energies within ourselves. Aubrey, do you feel better about that? Do you feel better about not, we don't need to push it down, that there, that beauty can come of it. I think that it's uh, a divine force for creation that I also agree with you, Dr. Bird, about the fact of using anger, because to me, it's how we've labeled it, right? Like, oh, that's anger. But in, in other terms, it is also just really raw passion that's coming through and like it can be channeled in any which way right but to use that like as this motivating factor of expansion of like okay if this is passion then what's born out of passion creation and what happens with creation is it's unlimited it's ever flowing right like it's like lava expanding across the countryside and so I think that's what comes up for me with that is like how do you use that anger of the injustices that are happening, the suppression, the oppression, the way that you are not connected to our neighbors? I mean, like that's such an ancestral story to me. Like this is the story of how we've been taken away from our ancestors is that we've lost the ability to have community anymore. Mm-hmm. And how do you use that like ancestral knowing of like, we're all meant to engage with one another and use the passion from that use the anger from that of like why are we kept so separated separated why are we kept so small why is this the story of our existence and humanity at this time and how do we elevate by tapping into that raw passion of there's another way it just requires creation well and i think that what what's come what comes to me just in in listening to you talk about it that way and what comes to me often is we, especially as women, have been trained that to have that big of a feeling yeah. is worse. Right. You, gotta, you have to demure. You have to be humble. You have to be, um, you have to be quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, we have been trained over centuries and thousands of years. Yeah. This is how the world works. Yep. Like, and if you are going to be a lady, then you need to demure to that. And for people who are magic and mystical and um, who can traverse the worlds between, you know, paganism and Christianity and who move back and forth and who are the seekers and the seers, really, those people need to really shush it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have been spending years and years and we're talking about just this conditioning that having that big giant huge feeling of anger and passion and raw creative energy is not okay and we're pushing the boundary of that now 
the, what we are seeing is the pushing of that boundary in everybody. And it's coming from young people. It's coming from old people. It's, there is pushing that is happening. And I even see it in people who are like, um, you know, one of the most invisible groups of people I think right now are uh, Republican women who have no political home. And instead of trying to understand them and understand who they are as human beings and understand what their vision for the future is, we are completely silencing those women because we can't fathom that they would actually have something to bring to the table. Mm. And I just am having more conversations with those women than I am of people of my own magical group or my own, you know, LGBT friends, or my own, you know, my own quote unquote liberal people, like my own echo chamber, I have more and more women who are coming to me saying, can you please help me understand how I can move forward in life? And that is fascinating to me, because in the rising of the matriarchy, that means we raise everyone. Right. And I also believe that and Susan, you brought this up a little bit a minute ago about the divisions. You said something about the dividing lines. I truly believe that what is happening, and I'm seeing it time and again, if you keep women of color and white women separated, the patriarchy gets to stay in power. Mm -hmm. If you keep, there is a movement that is happening on college campuses right now with attacking veterans um, there is intentional language accusing veterans of being part of veteran students on campuses being part of the military industrial complex and creating the idea that they are a threat against LGBT communities and the Muslim communities on campus. That is not true, but that is a message that is being spread that is creating division so that student groups can't come together and act against the oppression of students on college campuses. There is willful and intentional language being fed into people's heads to keep them separated. Mm -hmm. And what we have to do is take all this passion and creation energy that we have to navigate those waters and say, you know what, that's just bullshit. That's just the patriarchy trying to hold on for dear life. And we have got to stop this. We can't fall into that. We have to listen to our hearts and listen to what we are hearing deep in our souls and listen to our soul calling and just do that instead. Because if we all did that and didn't listen to the rhetoric and the madness and listen to our soul calling and what we're hearing in here, we would shift things in a way that would blow our community's minds. And that's the sweet spot of all of this. Is, is listening to that soul calling and being like, I am put on the earth to do this thing. I'm going to not be afraid of it anymore. And I'm just going to go out and do that thing. Okay. And it's scary and it's hard work and it's super tough. But if we all did that, the whole, the shift would, the patriarchy would lose it. It would just be like, whoa. Right. But Aubrey, Aubrey um, her background is in government. Um, yeah. And she worked in government and I worked in at the top end of the corporate world. And we both came out of it going you guys patriarchy is real <laughs> they're doing it on purpose you guys yeah yeah and so, and so that makes us come out and go oh god when they're when they're trying to make us fight each other when they're trying to make us afraid when they're trying to say you need me we're going no mm -mm. no no we're not doing that yeah you do community-based workshops right mm -hmm. is it fanning the flames that's what you call it 
Yeah, I have two different workshops that I do in communities. So one is Fanning the Flames. And I created Fanning the Flames for women to have a safe space to be, to find their jam, tap into their passion, and give them the tools to make a difference in their community. Um, and it's a, it's, I go all over the country and do them all over the country. So, and the way I connect with communities is people have actually sent me messages on Facebook and said, hey, can you come to a workshop? in our community. And um, Fanning the Flames is, the, I have a larger online Fanning the Flames uh, workshop that's like six videos and workbooks and all that stuff that's all online. But Fanning the Flames in the community is really about bringing together groups of women who really are ready to at least start the process of making a difference in their lives and in their communities. And they don't have to be politically driven women, right? Like it's just anybody who is just sit, looking around going, yeah, you know, I'm done. I would like to make a difference in my life and my community. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to figure it out. And I want to figure that out. And that's what Fanning the Flames is all about is really harnessing that passion and figuring out what the next steps are to make a difference in your own life and your community. The Graceful Revolution is a workshop that is for everybody. Um, and I created that. Um, I've done one in Cottonwood, Arizona. And then I've been actually doing them in class. I've been invited to universities and I've been doing them in classroom settings, which has been really fascinating. But And that's all about going through this process of the Graceful Revolution where I take everyone through the process of the revolution where you identify the feelings you have and then who you can connect with, how you can build and create something from that, what you will create, and then how you can take action to get clarity and confidence about that. And it's sort of a secular process. And that's sort of the first step in figuring out how do I actually really hone in on what I want to create in the world so I can go out and do that thing. Um, so by the end of the workshop, the Graceful Revolution workshop, you actually will have created something that you can start to connect other people with and talk about. We've noticed that when people are trying to engage more in the world or they want to make a, a difference or they want to go out on their own or they want to be independent, mm -hmm. that people are scared of the fraud police, which doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and also that there's a fear of needing permission to have a voice. Do you find that to be true in the work that you do? And, and did you have to overcome that? Yeah, so um, yes, I have had to overcome uh, my own fear of needing permission for things. To, to everybody who's listening, I grant you permission to do whatever the hell you want, whenever you want, at all times. You're here. <laughs> Dr. Bird gives you permission. Uh, but, um, but yes, I, I have multiple times throughout my career, I actually just did four Facebook lives about this, about my imposter syndrome and how I navigated that through each chunk of my life. But um, nothing like running your own business to give your imposter syndrome a real in the world. Let's just say right? that. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I, um, I very, I, this does not have to be perfect. And if you're waiting for, if you're waiting to make a change in your life or in your community and you're waiting for the perfect time, there's no such thing. Um, there is no, what that little whisper in your heart and in your little ear, that's like, go do it, go do it, go do it. That's all you need. That's everything you need is that go do that. And no matter how wonka doodle or crazy it seems, 
it's a really good idea. And the trick is just to connect to the right people who can help you make that happen. And so I'm all about like unapologetically um, saying, this is what I want and this is how I'm going to go get it. And sometimes that's really hard because I call her my perfectionist princess. She's like, oh, but wait, we have to wait until it's perfect. And that's crap. And you just, you just got to put yourself out there and ask for what you want and what you need and go get it. And, um, you know, when you do that, the most glorious things happen and you open yourself to expansion in ways that you never even thought possible. And it's just, it's amazing. The things you receive from just even putting it out there a little bit, like, well, you know, I think I'm just going to go out and do, I'm just going to go out and start a graceful revolution. And I hope everybody just kind of jumps on board if they want to. And if they don't, they're not my people anyway. And what's happening is bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> People actually want to talk about this? That's like ridiculous, right? I have a friend who's like sending me divine downloads from North Carolina. She's like, you need to start rebel school. And I was like, what's rebel school? And she's like, I don't know, but you're a natural born rebel and you need to make that happen. So I did. I created rebel school. That's online too. Um, but like, there's all these things that just come at you. And if you listen, you're like, oh, somebody is creating a path for me that I can walk along and go do these things. Mm -hmm. And in, in action and in activism and in community building and in shifting your life, listening to the whispers is where, that's how you know where to go. And it may seem ridiculous. Like you'd be like, why is that coming to me now? But if you follow it, it's lovely. You follow it, it's amazing. And it's total magic. And it's incredible what happens when you follow that. Be the Evidence was born from something like that, where it was, it was I had an internal question of, how do I know that these things are possible? How do I know that change is possible in the world? How do I know we're going up, not down? How do I know that the old system's coming down and we're being empowered and there's a rising coming? How do I know? And it was very clear to me, you're gonna go out there and be the evidence of it. That's what you're gonna do. I love that. Do you relate to that in, how, in your approach and how you go, well, I'm just gonna go do it. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I think that um, I didn't realize that I was actually being the evidence until, so I create this graceful revolution workshop, right? I create the PowerPoints. I do the thing, the first thing in Cottonwood, Arizona. And I, and everyone's like, whoa, that was mind blowing. I was like, mm, that was just situational, right? And, and everything in that, both in Fanning the Flames and in the graceful revolution, I have lived myself. I have done it myself. I have walked the walk. It's how I have approached my work in making a change. And listen, y'all, I was the lobbyist for Planned Parenthood of Utah. Like, let's just talk about if I can pass laws for Planned Parenthood of Utah, anybody can do this work anywhere in the world. I realized that a lot of things have changed since I was there in 2011, because I left in 2011. And I understand that plenty of things have changed in Utah, and I get it. But if I can do that work there, we can do it anywhere. So I'm standing in my classroom. Um, I taught last quarter at Portland State and I'm standing in my classroom and I'm presenting the graceful revolution and I have this moment where I realize I have a master's degree in social work, a PhD in social work and I'm doing it and I look over at my students and I go, this is the most social worky thing I have ever created in my entire life. <laughs> Because I don't like to actually admit sometimes that I'm a social worker because like everyone's like, oh, you're so, you're one of those. And I'm like, oh God, please. And so, you know, 
I'm reading it and I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is like community-based theory put into practice in a way that is like exploding my mind. And then I had to stop and think about how awesome that was. That I didn't even know I was being the evidence. <laughs> Making, you know, all these years of theory and actually applying it. But what I what happened when I created that was I was like sitting in a room surrounded by crystals. Everything was magic. It started flowing out of my head. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Never in a million years was I like, hmm, I'm applying theory to practice right now. How awesome. So like the thing about being the evidence and actually living what you, what you are talking about is sometimes it happens and you don't know that it's happening. You don't recognize but if you are so tuned into that, your calling, and like it's all coming from here, and from your heart, there is no way you can deny that you are living what you, you are the evidence. You are the thing. I've noticed that uh, uh, along with being afraid of needing permission to speak, I've noticed a lot of people fall into, well, I can't make money doing that. And I'm like, that's horseshit. That's horseshit. That's a very patriarchy, patriarchal message yeah. specifically to women going, just be grateful for where you are, hush up. You can't, you can't go independent. You can't go out on your own. You will not survive. I was literally told if I ever left that corporate job that I would have a serious lesson in survival. And that makes me every day going, I'm still here, bitch. I'm still here. <laughs> but what do you think about that? When people say, I can't make money doing something that's social or um, engaging in people's emotions or community building, that kind of stuff. I think that there is not a man alive who does not think, oh, I should just go out and do this. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? I've got this idea. I'm just going to walk out and go do that. Right. There is not a man on this earth. I even see it in my eight-year-old son who's like, whoever thinks I can't do that. Or maybe I shouldn't do that. Oh, I don't know if that's going to work so well. Maybe I should just hold back and wait for the perfect exact right time to do that. They've done research on men who run for office and women who run for office. Men who run for office wake up, look in the mirror, think, hmm, they're shaven. I'm going to run for Senate. Hey, Bob, I'm going to run for Senate. Can you give me 250 bucks? Hey, Larry, I'm going to run for Senate. Can you give me 250 bucks? They immediately start running. Mm -hmm. Women have to be asked five to seven times, have wow. to be asked to run five to seven times. Women, if they even think they get up in the mirror, they're, you know, they're brushing their teeth. They're like, huh, maybe I should run for office. Oh, but I got to get the kids to school and I got to get to work and I got to get the, and I got to mm -hmm. do this and I got to get the laundry and I got to maybe I should run for office later when it's a better time. That's what, that's the, all the research has shown that women with who run businesses, same thing. They have all of these series of things where people look at them and go, I cannot tell you, Susan and Aubrey, how often people are like, you have a PhD. Why don't you go get a nice job at a university? And I'm like, mm, no, thank you. Cause that's where the patriarchy lives. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -mm, I'm going to take my PhD and I'm going to go blow up the universe is what I'm going to do with that. And I'm going to change the world with this PhD. I don't have to teach to make a difference in my community. To, I don't have to do that. And but I'll tell you, that voice creeps in sometimes. 
right? Someone just sent me a job listing to my local university for a, a, a job. And they're like, you would be perfect for this. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, that sounds awful. I don't want to do that. But wow, that salary sure does look nice. And then I'm like, nope, I'm just going to keep doing my gig. I'm going to keep doing my thing. We have got to stop listening to that voice that says, maybe you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. We really do. We have got to stop because men don't do that. And that's just the way the patriarchy has decided to make us question what we're doing. But for every single woman who is listening to this and listens to you and is doing the work that you, Susan and Aubrey are doing and me, forget about it. Like, screw that. Mm-mm. We don't have time. We have like shit to do. I think it's, I think it's go ahead and do it. Believe in yourself. You don't need permission, but also know your worth. You are, you are worthy. You are valuable. What you're saying has value in the world. I, 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 it hurts my heart. How often I hear people go, oh, it's fine. You don't need to pay me. Yes. What are you doing? No, they do need to pay you. Stop what you're doing right now. And I, and, and it strikes me as obvious that that is an intentional message. It's well, it is. And it's also the message that says to the rebel, right? So to go off of this idea about, I am a natural born rebel. I have been rebellious my entire life. There's, there's not a moment that I don't remember being a total rebel. And there's so many of us that are rebellious and we have this little streak in us where we're like, mm, I'm going to see how far I can push that. And what we are told from an early age, especially if we're rebelling in school, is you need to sit down, you need to be quiet, and you need to do your homework. You need to, you can't, you can't rebel, you can't revolt, you can't say anything different, you can't question, you can't debate me. We set our school system up that we educate rebels that if they get in trouble, if they think the way they think and they act the way they act, they get to go to detention and suspension and to the bad kids school. When actually those are the creatives and the magical people and the mystics and the ones who are really out here to change the world. And if we just gave them the platform and said, listen, you got to learn your maths and your ABCs and your one, two, threes and all the things. But in the meantime, why don't we teach you a creative way to make that happen? The natural born rebel would be blowing it up which is really what I think is happening right now, instead of feeling like they are othered and they are wrong and they are not okay. That is, they, all of, to all of us who are out here doing, running our own businesses and doing our own things, keep rebelling. Keep going against the establishment. Keep doing the stuff that you're doing because we need you. Now more than ever, we are so necessary. We are completely necessary to the infrastructure and the fabric of this country and this world. Mm-hmm. So do you just completely disengage with, with, with the systems that are collapsing and go, y'all go ahead and collapse. We're building something new. Is that how no. you do it? No, I don't think disengaging from what's breaking is, is the best idea. Um, but I think putting it in context is critical. So looking at how like even the corporate structure is corporate is, is how corporations are structured there is some genius to that. Like, you know, and I'm a capitalist. So I like making money. You know, I like shopping. I like buying shit. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Um, but, but there is a space and a place for that, right? 
and, and they, they serve a purpose, but they aren't the entire fabric of our system. It's just like colleges, right? Like I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine who's a professor and she's like, what do you think is going on? And I'm like, well, what's going on is colleges have been become money-making schemes instead of places where people go to question and learn and, and, you know, engage in dialogue and expand their thinking they've become money-making corporations, basically, universities have. And, and we are also telling people, we're telling people that there's something wrong with them if they wanna to go to a trade school, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not about disengaging from that entire university system, but it's about looking at people their senior year of high school and going, you know what, I'm not really sure that that's your jam. Mm -hmm. Like, what lights you on fire and turns you on, right? So I'm looking at my 17-year-old daughter my husband's like, you're going to college. And I'm like, mm, I'm not really, and I'm a university professor. So let's be real here. I'm like, I'm not really sure that Caitlin really should be going to college right now. Like maybe Caitlin should be traveling and working and figuring out her jam. And then she can go into college or go to trade school or go do whatever she wants. I'm looking at my middle kiddo who's 11, who is like the most artistic human being ever. And I'm like, she's not going to college. Like she's going to go do her thing right? Our baby, he's going to go to college, but you can just see that. If we could actually not completely disengage from the system, but figure out how to flow people into the systems that work for them. Some people love the corporate world. Some people love that structure. Some people need an HR office. Good. Go do that and leave the rest of us to run our businesses and do our jam and be super magical humans. Like, right? Okay. Some people need the structure. Other people don't. We don't need to blow up the whole entire damn system. We need to start helping people get to the places where they want to be and where they're going to thrive. Not just survive, but really thrive in the world. Beautiful. What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? Oh my God, I'm so excited about so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited that it's spring. Because I love watching all my flowers come up in my garden and I love watching the birds make nests in the trees and I love the baby birds and the baby sheep and the baby goats. So <laughs> I love all the babies. All the animals. And I live in Oregon, right? So I get to like drive by and see all the little sheep. They're bouncing in the field. Oh my God. It's so ridiculous. Love it. I love it so much. I am super excited. Um, that my workshops are taking off. So people are having me come all over the country and I'm booked out through June and I'm, I'm looking to book out all the way to the end of 2019. I'm really excited that people are hearing this and I'm really excited that I've created all these amazing group online group coaching programs and like that I have all this stuff to offer people. It makes me so excited. I just am so excited about doing this work. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I love doing it. And I love connecting people to all of these ideas and helping them expand how they're thinking about things with my Facebook lives and with the things that I'm doing online. I just really, with my blog and like all the writing. And then I'm really excited. The third thing I'm really excited about is I pitched, I sent my uh, book, um, Modern American Virgin, Stories of Women's Reproductive Life in America. I sent it to a publisher and they have not rejected it and they're sending it around. So, yay! Exciting. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm 
going to have a book by the end of the year, I think. So that also makes me very excited. Mm-hmm. I'm just so, I just love, I love this. I'm excited that you have me on your show. It's been, it's delightful. Yes. Thank good. you so much for agreeing to be here with us. It's, I mean, we, we think that your work is important and we want you to be in front of as many people as possible. Yes. Thank you. Maybe you could bring me to your town so we could hang out. That would be fun. Love that. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Thank you for being with us.